schedule for the next week. See you in the morning. Rose picked up her case. Come on, girls. Let's see if we can find a taxi. There were no taxis, but they managed to find a bus going in the right direction. Rose gazed out of the window with an odd tremor in her stomach. Manchester was where Richard had gone to school. Didsbury, where his parents lived, was somewhere near here. Did he ever come to this part of town? Suppose she were to see him, walking along the street. She pulled herself together. That was a stupid train of thought. For one thing, Richard was away somewhere with his regiment. She had no idea where, but the chances of his being home on leave were so remote as to be not worth considering. And anyway, that was all over. She had seen him once in the past two and a half years, on that terrible New Year's Eve on the cusp between 1940 and 1941, and then only for a few minutes. It was all in the past, and she must put it out of her mind. She forced herself to concentrate on the passing scene. It was a depressing outlook. All the buildings were blackened with soot, and there was a smell of smoke in the air. A cold rain was falling, and the winter evening was drawing in. With no street lamps, and every window close-curtained to prevent the escape of the slightest gleam of light, the whole area was shrouded in gloom. Rose found herself thinking nostalgically of the little village down in Dorset, where her mother and her sister Bet had taken refuge from the London Blitz. The blackout was as strictly enforced there as here, but somehow it never seemed as dark as this. Never mind, she told herself. You'll feel better once you get a hot cup of tea inside you. By the time the bus dropped them at the end of Salford Street, night had fallen, and the darkness was complete. Fortunately, in these times of blackout, it was second nature to carry a torch. Rose produced hers, holding it so that only a thin pencil of light escaped between her fingers, and they began to search along the pavement. It was a street of narrow terraced houses, and few of them had numbers that were readily visible, and they had to stumble up several garden paths before they eventually found number 25. The door was opened by a small woman with a belligerent expression. When Rose explained who they were, her response was a sniff. Oh, you're here then. You'd better come in, I suppose. They followed her up a narrow flight of stairs to a landing. She opened a door. Two of you in here, two more across the passage, and one in the box room at the end. Bathroom's there and the lavvies in the backyard. Rose looked around her. There seemed to be only the three rooms. Where do you sleep, Mrs Gibson? she asked. Downstairs these days, nearer to the shelter of the Jerry Stark bombing again. Violet and Alice carried their cases into the room, and Peggy marched into the one opposite, followed by a reluctant May. That left Rose with the box room, which suited her fine. They deposited their cases and returned expectantly to the landing, where Mrs. Gibson was waiting, arms akimbo. Right, let's get a few things straight. When the man from the council came and told me I'd have people billeted on me, I didn't expect to have to take in theatricals. She uttered the last word, as if it left a bad taste in her mouth. So, these are my conditions. Everyone in bed by ten, no noisy parties, and absolutely no gentlemen callers. Understood? For a moment, all five girls were too taken aback to reply. Then Rose saw that Peggy was about to go into the attack and interposed quickly.
I don't think you've quite understood the situation, Mrs. Gibson. She indicated the badge on her uniform jacket. We belong to Ensa. We're here to entertain the workers in the factories. We'll be doing shows for the day shift and the night shift, so we very often won't be able to get back until well after ten. But I promise you, we'll come in as quietly as we can. And as for parties and the rest of it, I think we shall all be much too tired for that. We're doing war work like everyone else, and we have to go where we're sent. I'm sorry if you find that an inconvenience. She saw that she had taken the wind out of the little woman's sails, and added, with her most charming smile, We'll try not to be a nuisance, and it's only for a week. Now, do you think we could possibly have a cup of tea? Mrs. Gibson glowered at her for a moment, then turned to the stairs. No smoking in the bedrooms, and I'll need your ration books.